Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It is early in the morning, about 4.45. On 10 July 2023, we are eight days away from the launch of my new book, Hope is the First Dose, and I hope that you have pre-ordered your copy. If you have not, there are some amazing bonuses uh, for pre-ordering, an incredible Spotify playlist that you can download. There are lock savers and screen savers for your phone or your computer with some helpful uh, inspiring quotes from the book. There are three bonus chapters, some other good stuff out there that you can get if you um, purchase the book before the pub date. And we're going to extend that out to the original pub date of 25 July. Um, you get all this extra stuff. We're doing that because pre-orders matter. They help raise awareness and sales rankings and all that and help more people find the book when it becomes available. Because the more pre-orders there are, the more visible it'll be on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all the lists and all that stuff. So pre-ordering really helps us. So if you're going to buy the book, buying it early will help us a lot. And you can upload that receipt at my website, wlewarnmd.com slash first dose. That is the place to go to upload your proof of purchase and get all your free goodies. Um, hey, today we're going to talk another dose of hope. I told you we we're going to do 100 doses of hope in this episode, and then I told you that when we got to day 16, we were going to do a daily email, 16 days of hope, 16 doses of hope. And this is another one of those. We are now down inside of a week as of tomorrow. So today is eight days prior to book launch. And today I'm going to give you something I've been thinking about. A couple years ago, I read a book by Eugene Peterson called um, Run with the Horses. And it's basically his look at the book of Jeremiah. And I woke up this morning thinking about Jeremiah for two days in a row now, three days in a row now. I've talked to you about these two Hebrew words that show up all over the Bible and that are often translated either wait or hope, yakal and kavah. And yakal really just means wait. It's translated as hope a lot of times. Those who wait upon the Lord, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagle. That's yakal. And the other word is kavah. And kavah has this connotation of being like the three strands of a tightly braided rope. It's like a cord. And it's under tension. And, and the idea behind kavah is this, this you're holding on this tension of this waiting between the now and the not yet. This thing that you're hoping for. And you're, and you're kind of in this tight tension and you're holding on for dear life and it's going to have the ability to kind of pull you up out of this hole that you're in and that tension is what is is kava this this hope that we have is creates this tension that we're that we're holding on to something good that has the power to help us that's this hope idea okay so today i want to talk a little bit about the book of jeremiah and a little bit about eugene peterson's book run with the horses and i'm going to give you some neuroscience to think about how your brain works with hope and we're going to talk about all that stuff and we're going to finish with another song from the playlist that you can have if you pre-order the book the spotify playlist called Hope is the First Dose is the name of the playlist. It has the book cover on it on Spotify. It's really cool. But that playlist has a song by Lydia Laird called Hallelujah Even Here. And it's the idea of learning how to be prayerful and hopeful and maybe even happy in the midst of our suffering and in the midst of our massive things and in the midst of our trauma and tragedy. And that's really the secret, my friend, to a happy life. That's the secret to being able to grab onto that John 10, 10 promise of having abundance, even in the midst of the John 16, 33 reality that in this world you will have trouble. Okay. Now, if you're not a Bible person, don't get overwhelmed with me quoting scripture here. Okay. Because I guarantee you, if I was talking about ancient Greek philosophers, you wouldn't hang up on that. So just understand there's some value in knowing about ancient literature and knowing what people have been through before. 
that writers throughout history have observed the human condition and commented on and made proverbs and sayings and wise literature about how to deal with the human condition and the things that we go through in life, right? I choose scripture. I believe it's true. I believe it's inspired by God and written by man. And it's the one story that leads to Jesus. And that's what I do. But if you don't get into that thing, and if you don't really understand or believe, just understand that we all have ways that we read and study and think and learn. And these are some of the things that I use. Okay. And they'll be helpful to you too, whether you think they're actually true and spiritual or whether you think they're just old people from ancient lands and ancient languages giving us wisdom, then you could just see it the same as we see Greek philosophers and Seneca and and Euclid and all those guys, right? So don't get hung up on that. I promise you I'm leading you somewhere. I'm going to give you some opportunity to understand and believe like I do because I think that's where the real power comes. But as Dan Harris has famously said, you can become 10% happier just by learning how to get your brain under control. So I'm going to teach you the self-brain surgery of how to do that, and I think you can go from 10% to infinitely happier to massively happier and massively more hopeful if you learn how to add self-brain surgery to the neuroscience of how your brain works and the spiritual aspects of how your mind is designed. I think that's the home run, okay? Now, we're going to get into hope as the first dose. We're going to get into Jeremiah. We're going to get into run with the, ho- the horses, and we're going to get into Yakal and Kava, and we're going to get e- even a little bit of Victor Frankl today. But before we do that, we're going to remember one thing. You can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is, Lisa's getting ready to tell us, you can start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is, you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you'd like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. All right, I always say that, don't I? Let's get after it. I always say good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. I don't know why. I always say the same things, but I do. And you know why? It's because I want you to have a good day. I want you to be happy and all that stuff. It's okay. It's okay. Let's get after it. Hey, today I want to talk to you about Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite writers, passed away recently, and just an incredible guy, incredible writer, had an incredible look at um, the Bible and life. And one of the things he talked about a lot, he actually wrote a whole book about um, called Eat This Book, and it's about the spiritual discipline and practice of Lectio Divina, which is an ancient practice of a particular way of studying the Bible in which you chew on a scripture for days and days at a time. And it was first really described by uh, St. Gregory of Nyssa. He lived from 330 to 395, and it was also encouraged and widely practiced by St. Benedict of Nursia, who lived from 480 to 547. He's the guy that founded the Benedictine Order. And it basically is this idea 
that you read the scripture, they recommend it four times. So you read a particular scripture four, five, six times, three times, numerous times, until you sort of can immerse yourself in the story. Eugene Peterson used the metaphor of like a cow chewing on the cud. You just chew it and chew it and swallow it and spit it back up, chew it some more, get, make sure you extract all the nutrients from it. And, and basically this idea is just chewing on Scripture over and over and immersing yourself into the story. And I never really got it until I read Richard Foster. And Richard Foster added the piece that Gregory of Nyssa talked about, which is, immersing yourself in the story so see the story as if it was happening to you okay that's the way you really extract the text and make it personal and get to where you can have it for yourself and it really becomes alive to you is this idea of chewing on it until it becomes personal and real and so we're going to do that with the story today. I've been talking for several days now about kavah and yakal, and that's why. I want you to have these two biblical Hebrew words for hope, okay? Weight and cord, like strong rope, like tension, holding things under tension, because that's what you're going to have. When you face your massive thing, there's going to be tension, and you're either going to fall let go of the rope and fall back into the pit, fall back into the furnace of suffering, fall back into the misery and despair, or you're going to hold on tight for dear life to that rope. You're going to kavah on that cord, and it's going to eventually pull you out of that pit, okay? You have two choices. You hold on for dear life or you let go and fall. That's this kavah notion. And yakal is, wait, there's going to be a solution to this. There's going to be a time when it doesn't hurt this bad. There's going to be a time when the news gets better. There's going to be a time when you're able to move into a different part of your life again. That's, those are the two, coin, two sides of this hope coin that show up all throughout the Old Testament. Okay? And the word that shows up all throughout the New Testament is elpis, E-L-P-I-S. Paul uses it when he talks about the living hope. Peter uses it when he talks about the hope of, of resurrection. It's a hope not just in optimism, not just against all odds you're going to have a positive mindset. It's not that. It's a living hope in a person, Jesus Christ. And in the Bible, when somebody was in trouble over and over and over throughout the Old Testament, they looked back to what God has done. In the past, he rescued them, he redeemed them from Egypt, he got them through the plagues, he got them across the ocean, he got them across the river, he got them manna and quail when they were hungry, he provided for them, he was with them in the fire and the cloud and the tabernacle, he was always there, he never let them go. And over and over again, they messed up and he was still there. And so they would look back and they would remember, right? They would look back and they would remember what God had done. That's the memory part of my formulation of what hope is. Hope is a verb. It's an action word. You have to remember and you have to move. You have to go forward. You hold onto that rope and grab and pull one step at a time and he will get you out of that pit, okay? That's that's what we see over and over and over. So Peterson talks about this story in the book of Jeremiah. And it happens where, I want you to, if, if we're going to immerse ourselves in the story, then let me give it to you in a, in a modern way. Let's, let's pretend that you live in Ukraine, okay? And the night before the Ukraine-Russia war started, you look out and there's a Russian army literally camping out in the field outside your hometown, Okay, they're they're building their tents and they're packed up and, you know, the next day they're coming in, they're going to take this city and drag people off into captivity and take prisoners of war and blow up buildings and all that stuff. And it's going to be war. Okay, that that's the situation that we find here in Jeremiah. 
In Jeremiah, we have the story of the Babylonians coming to siege and ultimately capture Jerusalem and carry off the people into exile. Okay, this really happened in history, and we know it's true. So we have Jeremiah here, the prophet who grew up in a town called Anatoth outside of Jerusalem, and the Babylonian army is building their camp in Anatoth. They're laying siege, they're building siege ramps to take Jerusalem. And right at that time, God comes to Jeremiah and he says, let me tell you what's getting ready to happen. Your cousin is going to come and offer to sell you a field in Anatoth. And he's going to say, hey, you ought to buy this field to keep it in the family. Your cousin's going to do this. And lo and behold, immediately Hanamel shows up and says, hey, Jeremiah, buy my field in Anatoth in the territory of Benjamin, for you have the legal right to keep it in the family. Buy it and take it over, Jeremiah 32.8. Okay, Jeremiah has been the prophet who's been going around and telling people, stop weeping and wailing, hold back your tears. We are going, God is going to deliver us. Yes, we're about to be exiled. Yes, it's going to be terrible. God's going to come through for us. Hang on. Don't give up. Have hope. Don't forget who God is. God is going to get us through this. And the people are wailing and terrified and and they're losing hope. And all of a sudden, Hanamel shows up and wants uh, Jeremiah to buy the field at Anatoth. And that sounds crazy, right? If you were in Ukraine and the Russian army was really building their camp in your hometown and somebody said, hey, could buy this piece of land from me over here. It's going to be worth something someday. You'd think they were mocking you, right? You've been going around telling everybody that God's going to come through. And now he's saying, okay, well, put your money where your mouth is, dude. Put your money where your mouth is, Lola. Put your money where your mouth is, Jonna, right? Lisa, Dennis, Brian, get your wallet out and buy this field. If you think God's going to come through, then buy this land from me. That's what it probably felt like to Jeremiah for Hanamel to come and say this. Even though God had forewarned him that it was going to happen, Jeremiah could have been real practical about it. And he could have said, you know, all this hope that I've been preaching, it's really about your interior state. And I'm not saying you should literally go spend money to buy land, but I do believe God's going to come through. It wasn't that. He wasn't saying this all metaphorically. What God said is, Jeremiah, go by the field. Make sure you have witnesses. Record the deed. Buy the field. Put your money where your mouth is. And Jeremiah does it. He buys the field. He records the deed. He weighs out 17 shekels of silver, and he buys the field and records the deed and tells another guy to put it in a clay pot for safekeeping. So everybody knows there are witnesses to this transaction. He's not just preaching that he believes it's all going to work out. He's got skin in the game now, okay? The situation is hopeless. The Babylonians are there. The The ground is worthless. But God says, he says, I'm going to take care of this. You can have hope in me. And Jeremiah does it. He spends the money. He buys the field. He records the deed. He does it publicly with witnesses. And here's what he prays in Jeremiah 32. Dear God, you created earth and sky by your great power. By merely stretching out your arm, there is nothing that you can't do. Look at the siege ramps already set up in place to take the city. Killing and starvation and disease are on the doorstep. The Babylonians are attacking. The word you spoke is coming to pass. It's the news. And yet you, God, even though it's certain that the city will be turned over to the Babylonians, you also told me to buy this field and pay for it in cash and make sure there were witnesses. And God does a very kind thing here in Jeremiah thirty-two forty-two. 
He says, stay alert. I am God, the God of everything living. Is there anything I can't do? I will certainly bring this huge catastrophe on this people, but I will also usher in a wonderful life of prosperity. I promise fields are going to be bought here again. So God comes through with the promise, yes, I want you to spend this money. I want you to buy this. I want you to make sure there are witnesses to tell people that you're not just hopeful and you're not just optimistic and you're not just preaching that that all these good things are going to come to pass, but that you really believe it. You are taking action based on my promises. And here's the point for today. I'm not telling you to go buy a field in Ukraine. Okay, don't don't be so literal. <laughs> I'm telling you that buying the field in Anatoth for Jeremiah was a deliberate act of hope, Peterson says. All acts of hope expose themselves to ridicule because they seem impractical. They seem impractical, right? But in fact, they're the reality that is being constructed but it's not yet visible. That's what Hebrews 11 says. Faith is the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for. And here's the line that I brought you this story for today. Peterson said it in a way that I could never have written. Hope commits us to actions that connect with God's promises. Hope commits us to actions. Remember I told you it's memory. You remember what God's done before and you move. You take some sort of action. You pull on that kava and you pull yourself out of that hole by holding on to the tension that God is giving you and the hope between the now and the not yet. Hope commits us to actions that connect with God's promises. What we call hoping is sometimes just optimism, just wishing, wishful thinking. We want things to think to be better. We want things that we think are impossible, but we have better sense than to spend money on them because we're too practical. We're not going to commit our lives to them, but we just kind of wish they were better. And I'm only bringing this up because if you find out, well, let's say this. If I ask you today what you define your life as and what you think about your own life and what you think is a good life, you would probably say something like, well, I believe I should spend time with my family. I believe a good life is a solid family life. And a solid faith, and I go to church, and I try to do the right things, and I believe that, you know, God's got a plan for me, and all that stuff, or if you're more secular-minded, maybe I just try to be a good person, I try to do things right, I try to live by a code, and I think that if you do those things, that life kind of works out for you, and I think a a, a meaningful life is one that I I do my work well, and I'm proud of the work of my hands, and the time that I spent with my family, and all that kind of stuff, but if I told you today was the day that you were going to find out that you had glioblastoma, fatal brain cancer, or that you found this spot on your breast and you were going to go get it biopsied and it turned out to be cancer, or if something else happened, if you find out that your son died, for example, like I did on a Tuesday night almost 10 years ago now, then what would you say if I asked you what you think about your life now? Would that, knowing that there's an end point or that this massive thing had happened, would it change what you think a meaningful good life is or what you think about your future is? Would that knowledge that everything is actually not the way you thought it was, that the things you thought were true may not actually be true, would it change that arc for you? This is why that matters, okay? My book is about hope, and it's about a plan for how to put your life together when the massive things occur. And a big part of that plan is the prehab 
which is this, what I do, if you come see me in the office today, I'm going to see 25 or 30 people in the office later today. And some of them are going to have back pain and they're eventually going to need surgery, but they're not ready for surgery yet. They're out of shape. They're smoking. They, they, their blood pressure is too high. They're taking blood thinners. There's all kinds of things going on with them that would make surgery unacceptably dangerous or unsuccessful for them. And their outcome would be poor. So I send them to the physical therapist. I send them for some rehab. I put them on a medical program. I send them to their medical doctor and their cardiologist to tighten some things up and to get nicotine out of their body and to encourage them to stop drinking and get them off as much narcotic pain reliever so they'll have a better outcome. We prehab, we prepare because we know the hard, insult, traumatic, injurious procedure is going to fix one problem, but it's going to create some other problems that they're going to have to recover from, a wound that they have to heal from. So we prepare for that with prehab. Well, spiritual prehab, mental prehab, neuroscience prehab is the same thing. You know that life contains some hard things, some massive things. And we teach people to stop, drop, and roll, and we teach them to do CPR, and we teach them to balance their checkbooks, and we teach them to change flat tires because we know they're going to encounter situations where they'll need that knowledge, but we don't spend any time teaching people what to do when the lights go out in their life, what to do when the bottom drops out, what to do when you get the phone call or the letter from the doctor. And so I'm here to try to teach you that, to try to prepare you. And prehab is the first part of it. And this Lectio Divina idea, if you're into scripture reading, or like I said before, if you're into just understanding that people have been through things before and it's valuable and wise to read what other people have encountered, then this idea of Lectio Divina is powerful, okay? Put yourself in the story, right? The Russians are camped out on your field. Your cousin wants you to buy it. You think that's crazy, but you've been telling everybody that you believe that God's going to come through. So you take some sort of action to connect to that promise. You buy the field. You record the deed. You make sure there are witnesses. You stand up for what you say you believe in. Let me tell you what the world needs right now, friend. The world is desperately searching for something they can hold on to, and they're looking in all the wrong places. And we've all done it. We all do it. We're looking for alcohol or sex or money or power or promotions or the Internet or clickbait or Amazon one-click shopping. We're trying to find something to fill the void to make us not feel so bad. We're trying to numb the things that we're hurting over. We're trying to avoid thinking about the thing that we really need to be thinking about. We're trying to find something to please ourselves with. And it's not working. And why is Christianity not coming through right now? Why is the modern church not coming through? You look at what happened in the first century after Jesus resurrected and the the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and the disciples were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And within a generation, the entire world, the Bible says, had heard about Jesus Christ. The Roman Empire was heavily influenced by these former Jews who built the first hospitals and served the poor and spent time with the afflicted and they shared resources and they helped each other. And they weren't building mega churches and drawing people in because they had the best coffee and the best light show. That's not why Christianity took off. Christianity took off because these were people that were living out what they said they believed. And they said they had hope in this guy, Jesus Christ. They looked back on him and looked at his life. And they had that elpis, that living hope in a savior who had risen from the dead and had the power to overcome it. So my friend, when you're struggling with something in your life, engage memory and movement. And don't just be optimistic, but look back. 
So I'm always telling you, don't look back and rehash all the mistakes in your life. But if you're going to look back, and you need to, look back at something bigger. Look back at all the things God has done. Look back at the fact that Jesus came through. Look back at the fact that he rose, still wounded, and his wounds helped other people see that there was hope for the future for them too. And you can do the same thing, my friend. You can. Listen, hope is memory and movement. On the science side... Again, if you're interested in neuroscience, here's how it works. From the neuroscience side, this has been well-researched. Hope requires two things, agency and pathways. What does agency mean? Agency means that you have the actual ability to do something about the thing that you say you're hoping for. Okay, But pathway means you have to have a, a viable, realistic, possible path to that thing. Okay, so the researchers say people who are hopeful have better outcomes in situations than people who aren't. And we know that's true in medicine for sure. People who lose hope don't do as well as those who maintain a more positive outlook. But you have to have agency and pathways. And here's what that means. If I had if I say, boy, I hope I can buy. uh, Let me make it more more practical. If I say I hope I can set a world record running a marathon. Okay. Well, I have agency to do that. I can start training and running. I can hire a personal trainer and I can hire a dietitian and I can devote my life to trying to run more and set a world record in a marathon. But do I really have a pathway to that? I'm 54 years old. I'm not a great runner. I haven't been running my whole life. I'm not physiologically or anatomically built like the great runners who set world records in marathons are. It's really not possible There's no real conceivable pathway for me to run fast enough to set a world record in the marathon. It's not possible. There's not a pathway to that. So I I can't really be hopeful that that would occur. And if I try to say that I am, here's the problem. I'll develop cognitive dissonance, which is the situation where you say one thing and you believe another thing, and that creates tension and stress. And, And when you deal with cognitive dissonance, then you end up having to cover that with something else to make yourself feel not so bad. This is why people drink, by the way. This is why people are addicts. The the cognitive dissonance between what they say they want and what they really want, or what they say they feel and what they really feel, that leads to addiction, it leads to numbing behaviors, it leads to misery. It doesn't lead to happiness. So if you don't have agency and pathways, then you really can't be hopeful in a situation. But it's more than that. So it's more than that. You also have to have memory and movement because what we want is not just a hopeful attitude. We want a real living hope, the kind that motivates us to buy the field at Anatoth, the kind that connects us to God's promises, okay? So the prehab part is filling yourself up and immersing yourself in the story, putting good stuff in your heart and in your head so that you can call on it when you're suffering, when you're struggling. You can remember and you can move. You can hold on with a kava. You can yakal. You can wait through it, okay? This is the fourth day in a row I've told you those two words. I'm doing it for a purpose. I want you to remember how important it is to live in that tension and to not let go of that rope. Because the massive thing is coming, my friend. It's coming. It comes for all of us. But there's a treatment plan. And hope is the first dose. And the most important thing is to get to that state where you can see that even though the siege is happening, even though the storm is raging, even though the battle is underway, that you can say hallelujah even here. Viktor Frankl wrote about how man has a mind to conceive the devices of the gas chambers at Auschwitz and build them. 
man has the mind and the heart to conceive of a concentration camp where they march people into those gas chambers. But man also has the faith and the hope to walk into those chambers with the Shema Yisrael or the Lord's Prayer on their lips. We have to get to where, if you really want to have a hope that will transcend, that you can use to build better synapses and recreate your brain and and not conform to what the world tells you you should be concerned about, but to be transformed by renewing your mind. If you really want to get to where you can engage this self-brain surgery muscle and that you can really overcome the massive thing and you can find a way forward into hope, into that memory and movement and agency and pathways and better brain chemistry. If you want to overcome the massive things in your life, you've got to be able to walk into that gas chamber with the Shema Israel, the hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and the Lord's Prayer on your lips. Even in the worst moments, you've got to be able to say, Hallelujah. Even here, you got to change your mind before you can change your life. And the good news is, my friend, you can say hallelujah even here, and you can start today. Right now, I feel a little overwhelmed. Right now, I could really use some help. Right now, I don't feel like it is well with my soul. I've tried to find a way around the mess I've prayed in faith that the night would end Right here when I just can't understand I lift my hands Hallelujah When the storm is relentless
Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.